Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you, da- will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you will love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Friends, this is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this passage of Scripture 
from your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant us now, O Lord, your Holy Spirit, to illumine the very word of God to us, that we would be brought into the presence of our kind Lord that we need even in this hour. Father, do not forsake us in these moments. We pray, Jesus, in your name and for your sake. Amen. You may be seated. Knock on wood. Bit by bit by bit by bit. Let's not jinx it. But we might actually be coming out of pandemic a little bit. And this coming school year, it might feel a little more normal, like way back in 2019, than the past couple of years, which have been not so great. If we're coming out of pandemic a little bit, how are we feeling? How are we feeling? few different things. I'm going to talk about one here this morning. I think for many of us, we're probably feeling a bit lonely. We probably feel a little less connected, a little more out to sea by ourselves emotionally, perhaps, than when pandemic started, for a lot of different factors. But I think it's true that across a lot of ages, a lot of stages, a lot of people groups, we feel lonely. We feel alone. How many of us would truly say, I have enough? I have enough friends and family, people in my life that understand me. I have enough people that I can talk to. I have enough people that can support me. Probably not too many would say that. And a pretty large handful would say the opposite. I don't have enough. I don't have enough people with whom I can have fun. I don't have enough people that I can talk to. I don't have enough people that can support me when I need it. And therefore, we are troubled. And if we feel troubled in this way, it actually connects us very directly to the big Bible passage, words of Jesus, that I just read. You may have noticed just about smack dab in the middle of all of those paragraphs, there is one of the most famous things that Jesus has ever said. John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're going to get there for sure. But at the beginning of the paragraph of speech that includes Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 1, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Why? Let not our hearts be troubled. How? So we look at a little bit of context, and that's why I included the last part of John 13 in the sermon text for this morning. What's going on? What's on the disciples' minds? Jesus tells them, I'm about to leave you soon, and you're about to be alone. Like verse 31 of John 13, very beginning. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Or verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I told the Jewish people, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. The context is the disciples are hearing and wrestling with and trying to come to grips with the fact that Jesus just like we say in the Apostles' Creed every week, 
He's going to be crucified, died, was buried, descended into hell, and then on the third day, he ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and so on. They're going to be alone, and they're feeling it. Or verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where you are going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. They're going to be alone. And because they are facing this loneliness from Jesus... That's why Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. It's kind of like this in the Gospel of John. Three big chunks. The first part of the Gospel of John, and I realize that we've been jumping around through different parts of different Gospels here this summer. About John 1 through 12, Jesus says a lot of stuff, but then also he does a lot of stuff. Talks to a lot of different people. So, turns water into wine, one of my favorite miracles. Raises Lazarus from the dead kind of a big deal. Talks with the high and the low. Talks to Nicodemus, a Pharisee. Talks to a woman at the well, and so on. Heals a man who was born blind. All this great stuff. And then starting in John chapter 18, through the end of the book, chapter 22, that's the narrative of Jesus' crucifixion. But then in this middle chunk, pretty much chapters 13 through 17, just about all monologue. Jesus is talking the whole time to his disciples right about before he's going to be betrayed. And all of those middle chapters, one way or another, they're dealing with the fact Jesus is preparing his disciples for his absence. He's not going to be there. And when you think about being alone or loneliness in multiple ways, in various ways, I think that's something that we can relate to, pandemic or otherwise, in our lives, around the world, wherever we live, whoever we know, we feel loneliness. And maybe a little bit also we can feel alone as it relates to God. God, are you there? God, where are you? What's going on right now? And I think it's getting worse, this loneliness. It's unfortunately trending. Sidebar, one of my favorite books on marriage, the title, I think it's one of my favorite books. The title I really like, though, so I should say one of my favorite titles for a book about marriage. What did you expect? Isn't that a great title for a book on marriage? Hey, this marriage is harder than I thought. Well, what did you, you see how it works? As we think about where culture is going, what did we expect where we turn the volume up to 11 on individualism. Don't be constrained or conditioned by anybody unless it's very much of your own choosing and volition. Be your own person. Don't conform to anything except what your heart is telling you in this moment. Cut the ties. We turn around and say, I'm doing that, but I'm alone. I'm really lonely. We feel that. There is an article that I interacted with from The Atlantic in my blog a couple of weeks ago. And the title is great. It's by an author, writer named Caitlin Tiffany. That's it, you're dead to me. Subtitle, Suddenly Everyone is Toxic. And talking about how in so many different ways, largely on social media, primarily if you're young, but not only, there's so much life coaching and advice out there that if anybody gets in your way or rubs you the wrong way or makes you uncomfortable, cut them off. 
But that leaves us more and more alone. She asks at one point rhetorically, why is this happening? Everybody's cutting everybody else out of their lives. Maybe young people have been inspired by the impermanence and infinite choice baked into online dating and social media. Maybe our brains have been pickled in wellness culture and self-care rhetoric, which stress the need to privilege our own well-being above all else. Or maybe we're just good American capitalists, encouraged by the cult of, ind of individualism to think of ourselves as compelling brands, the main characters of cinematic star vehicles, the center of the universe. Or put another way, a Japanese writer has said this, loneliness is the price we have to pay for being born in this modern world, so full of freedom, full of independence, and our own egotistical selves. We're lonely. And so when Jesus says, I know you're worried about being alone, let not your hearts be troubled, that really speaks to a human need that we feel right now. And one of the main plots of our literature, our music, our movies, features characters trying to minimize or erase absence, to build connection, one way or another. For Collingswood Middle School, our kids are at the middle school and high school in the public school system, and I saw the choice of reading list for the summer for my two middle schoolers, lots of different books, choose one of them, write an essay about it. I saw a book on that list that didn't involve a student that was marginalized in some way, shape, or form and is trying to make more connection and find more meaning. But then there were 50 that were exactly about that because it's such a typical common thing that we feel. Or old timers, remember the image from ET? There's two primary ones that stay with us, the biking over the moon, but then also Remember that? E.T. wants to connect. And I don't know if Steven Spielberg made the movie was intentionally echoing Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel. You know that painting, top of a chapel in the Vatican? Creation of Adam, where God is depicted as sticking out his hand, his finger, to Adam. We want connection. And again, how many of us would say, you know what, I'm good. I'm relationally right now. The irony is that we're surrounded by people. Great state of New Jersey, the most densely populated state in the Union. We're surrounded by people. We're surrounded by people digitally all around us. But here we are, the lonely crowd, surrounded but alone. And too few of us would say, I have those people to talk to, who understand me, who can support me, whom I can lean on, whom I can party with, with whom I can have fun. Enough people that can give me a hug. So this morning, as we jump into this passage of scripture, we're going to be honest with God about our own loneliness and for a world careening towards more and more loneliness. Jesus tells his church, his followers, in me, God is near. Through me, the living Lord is near and present with you. And Jesus is at work to renew the world. So two parts from here. We're alone, number one. 
Number two, God is near. We're alone, but God is near. And spoiler alert, part two is going to be more fun than part one. We're alone. Let's talk about that. I mentioned a couple of writers and articles so far, and there's, there's so many quantitative and qualitative reflections that talk about how we are becoming more and more alone. There's lots of different fa factors for it, the fragmentation, the isolation, the pandemic, and so on. A Christian writer about 10 years ago, and I'll give you this one other author talking about loneliness, talked about how technology is changing how we relate to each other as human beings and not necessarily for the better. 10 years ago, our perception of community is becoming disembodied a product of mediated communication based on shared interest rather than a product of face-to-face -face communication based on shared space. Previously, how do you connect? It's on the basis of shared space and it's face-to-face. -face. Now, how do we connect? It's not on the basis of shared space, but shared interests, and it's less and less face-to-face. -face. And those trends are accelerating. And there is this idea in the cultural drinking water that relationship plus friction equals bad. Relationship plus friction equals bad. Therefore, cut those relationships out. But to me, if you show me a person that cuts out all relationships that make him or her uncomfortable, I'll show you a person that's completely alone. And please don't mishear me. Pendulums swing. It's probably the case, I'm sure, that in previous generations, we, in some cases, lacked the agency to get out of some relationships that we really should not have been in, that were harmful, that were damaging. And that's good. But I think the pendulum is swinging too far way in the other direction when we just cut off, cut off, cut off, cut off. And so we're lonely. Think about yourself for a moment here. What are some ways in which you act out on your loneliness? How you think some things or do some things that probably aren't healthy, but you find yourself doing them because you're driven by some level of loneliness and feeling alone. Maybe we stretch our appearance, either in the literal sense or otherwise, present better than we actually are. Maybe we deceive, either to lie ourselves up or put other people down. Yeah. It's not the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, but I want you to think better about me than I actually am, so I'll fudge the numbers a little bit, or the opposite. Oh, this person is up for a promotion at the same time I am? Do you know what he or she did? And you fudge the numbers in that direction, too. I was also thinking about this this week. You ever get FOMO? Fear of missing out? I think that one of the main ingredients in FOMO if you excavate it a little bit, is loneliness. We would have less FOMO if we were less lonely. And there's a spiritual dimension here too. We can feel lonely and alone as it relates to God. God, are you there? And here in the late modern West, what Nietzsche about 150 years ago in his book, The Gay Science, this madman comes out of nowhere and says famously, God is dead and we killed him. What was the prophecy of a madman 150 years ago is now a principle of the mainstream. God's not here. 
we're on our own. But is it a coincidence that we feel so utterly displaced so much of the time? We're cosmic orphans. And even if you're here this morning as a follower of Jesus, we can struggle too. God, are you there? And at a couple different points in the sermon series from the Gospels this summer, we've talked about how it's easy for me at least to think it would have been easier to be an original follower of Jesus because the dude's standing there. I can see him. He's talking to me. And it's great. But all of those years have passed. God's up there somewhere. We're down here. That's why when we talk here at Liberty Collingswood about making idols. Where is God? Maybe not around? Is there something more tangible that I can give myself over to, pour myself into, so that I can get a little bit more of a connection or control or meaning or purpose or satisfaction? Whether it's career or relationship or sex or money or entertainment, whatever you want to say, we can feel and touch and experience those things. But God? I feel lonely. And here's some real talk, too. When it comes to our being isolated and feeling lonely, we're not just victims, we're also perpetrators. Often we're the ones that do the deserting. We're not just the deserted. This is true of me. I'd feel bad if it's only true of me. So misery loves company. Maybe for you as well. There's probably a list of people in your life, friends or family, co-workers, classmates, and so on, that need you. That could really benefit from a check-in call from you. Or a check-in text. Or a happy hour. Or a coffee date. But you're not picking up that phone. And so we're in this moment where we're constantly moonwalking away from people, wanting to give the appearance of actually moving towards people in relationship, but we're actually going backwards. That's where we are. Own your own deserting. And maybe you should make that list and chip away at being more of a connector with one another. One more irony. We're deserted. And we're also deserters of Jesus. That interaction at the end of John chapter 13 between Jesus and Peter. Jesus, number one guy, number one disciple, right-hand man, and so on. Peter says, Lord, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, thank you. No, he doesn't. He says instead, Peter, who are we fooling? You're going to deny me three times this evening before the rooster crows. So Peter and we deny Jesus. But thank Jesus that he doesn't deny us. And he's faithful to his promises. So we are alone, but God is near. Beginning of chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. And then Jesus goes on to say, believe in God, believe also in me. And friends, think of it this way. There are many holy men 
and holy women around the world and throughout the ages that have said something along the lines of believe in God, however that person or those people conceived of deity. Sure, plenty of people over the years have said believe in God. But it's only the crazy crackpots who would even think or dare to follow up the statement believe in God with believe also in me unless it's Jesus of Nazareth. And it's true. Believe in God, believe also in me. And so unfolds this amazing conversation between Jesus and his best friends. Philip says in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Just give us a glimpse, Jesus. And in doing so, Philip articulates a deep human need. We're made in the image of God, created to know our creator. Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. The 16th century church reformer John Calvin said famously a long time ago, true knowledge consists in these two parts, knowledge of ourselves and also knowledge of God. We don't have true knowledge unless we know God. Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus goes on in this way, verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That's what the church confesses. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, Jesus repeats, and the Father is in me. Or he says earlier in verse 7, same thing. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. Jesus says, through me, you're looking at him. Here is the face of God for you. And it's in this context that Jesus gives that famous statement, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. This is the path back to God and the mode of living. I am the truth incarnate. As the Apostle Paul says, let God be true in every man, every person a liar, and I am the life. It's all about me. To be in me, this is living. 15th century Dutch church writer Thomas Akempis put it this way about this verse. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way that you should follow, the truth that you should believe, the life that you should hope for. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the indestructible life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, the authentic life, blessed and eternal. That was a reflection quote for you. And I get it. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's making at this point an exclusive claim. Jesus is not saying, I am one of the many, many ways out there. Choose your own adventure. It's going to be just fine. He's saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
And we're conditioned culturally in this moment, whether you're here this morning still figuring out where you are with all of this Jesus stuff, or even if you're a follower of Jesus in the hyper-pluralistic culture that we're in, it buzzes our tower a little bit. Ah, man. And exclusive sometimes is a four-letter word. Like, do we really want to go in that direction at all? A couple of thoughts. One is that even for groups that pride themselves on as being as inclusive as possible, there's always fine print. And no group is as as inclusive as they intend to be because there's always going to be bad guys, either by principles or by practices. Hey, what you're doing, what you're posting, how you're acting, what you're saying is making the group really uncomfortable right now. You're actually not really welcome here if you're going to keep doing these things. So we can think about it in a more nuanced way. And it also doesn't make any sense, at least to me, or get us very far in dialogue if we turn around and say, well, whatever you think about life, the universe, and everything, it doesn't matter because everybody's right. It's all the same. Let me tell you a story from a couple of years ago. I was in the habit for a number of years, once a year, and some of you have heard this story before, I would go to a synagogue in South Jersey. I had a little bit of a relationship with a local rabbi, and this rabbi led his youth group, and he would have, for a season, I think every spring, for his senior high youth, he would invite other people from other faith traditions, religious traditions, philosophies, worldviews, to come and present to his students about what that person believes. And going into that first time that I did that, I said, hey, I know that the church just has a really nasty history in a lot of cases with how they've treated Jewish people, and give, give me some guidance. What, what do you want me to say or shouldn't say? And, and he, he gave me some helpful tips, but the bottom line is, don't water down what you believe. Just say why you're a pastor, why you believe in Jesus, and what you think it all means. And so I, I did, and I was there that night, and I said some type of one of my elevator speeches about Christianity, the best news in the world, it's all centered in Jesus. He is the Son of God and God the Son, the true human, the true Israelite, very God of very God. And in all of God's promises to ancient Israel, they are now fulfilled in Jesus, and God's love for the world is shown in Jesus, crucified and resurrected, paid the penalty for our sins, so that anybody that believes in him, no matter who they are, no matter what they have done, knows the forgiveness of sins eternally, knows the presence of God eternally, has the life of God by the Holy Spirit now, and security forevermore. And in the meantime, we're gathered to Jesus so that we can be scattered into the world as his agents of peace, heralding good news because there is a kind king. Something like that. And one of the students, there was a pause, and then one of the students turned not to me, but to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, do we believe that? And what do you think the rabbi said? He said this, we most certainly do not believe that. That is not what we believe. It is a very different set of truth claims. There's some overlap, you know, shared traditions and all of that stuff, but at the end of the day, no. That's a very different view of life, the universe, and everything. But he went on to say, but we can still talk respectfully to one another, listen well, and build relationship in the midst of disagreement. I was like, best rabbi ever. I wish more pastors were like this. So we can have conversations. 
And it's not only that Christianity is, in, is exclusive. There's another way in which it's deeply inclusive. There is a way. There is a way. And for so many of my secular friends, and this is relevant on a morning like this, hearing the announcement that Eric gave earlier to all of you, so many of my secular friends are just like, when you die, you die. And there's nothing. To me, that's its own version of exclusivity. I guess it's fair, because it's equal, but it's not very fun. And it's all by grace. When Peter, in verse 37, tells Jesus, Lord, I will lay down my life for you, he has it exactly backwards. Sure, there's a sense in which we take up our cross and follow Jesus. We lose our lives so that we can gain Jesus. But the bottom line is not we lay down our lives for Jesus. It's the opposite. Or that's exactly what Jesus did for us. And that's grace. Because the penalty has been paid. I've heard pastors put it this way. Think of the cross. Use it as a metaphor in this case. The vertical beam is the exclusivity of Jesus. The horizontal beam. Jesus welcomes everybody. And it's a unity bred and formed, not according to principles or practices, but a person. And that person is Jesus. And it's open to everybody. And the security that we're able to find in Jesus as we come to him by faith, and I would encourage you to take those steps and grow in conviction about this Christ, it's eternal security. And that's really good news. Lots of famous verses in this passage, including 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, John 14, 2, that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. For millennia, millions upon millions, billions even, have cleaved to these promises of Jesus in life circumstances far worse than what most of us in this room and watching online will face in our lives ever, but have taken comfort that Jesus prepares a place for us. And it's not really at the end of the day that we're left totally on our own. If John chapters 13 to 17, what to do in Jesus' absence, it's not a coincidence that these chapters of scripture are arguably the primary place where we learn more about the Holy Spirit than in any other place in the Bible. I'm going. First down and then up. But Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone. You're going to have my Holy Spirit, which will unite you to me forever. 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, the Spirit, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so we practice and cultivate the presence of Jesus, not only looking into the future, the sweet by and by, but now, today, Sunday, September 4th, we can be present with Jesus. And this is where we'll wrap up. Also, in the meantime, there is work for us to do. In a world of loneliness, what do you say we do some living, speaking, and serving as Jesus' very presence? 
among those in our midst. There's work to do in a world that is so disconnected, so fractured, so lonely, Jesus says, practice love, both within the family of faith and outside. Verse 34, and listen to how Jesus repeats love over and over again. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Go do it. Go build connection. Go back to the list of friends and family. And maybe there's some people in this room that might be on your list saying, wow, or online, that person could really use a check-in call, text, coffee, beer, meal, whatever. And we do it. Jesus, in this passage, too, says, you have work to do. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Jesus is speaking quantitatively, not qualitatively here. Jesus does better works qualitatively, but quantitatively, he was just one guy who ministered for three years. Quantitatively, there's more for us to do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. As we return this fall, another year of re-presence initiative, we refocus and use as an apologetic the love even that we have for one another. There was an aphorism from an old Roman senator who was exasperated by the church. And he said this. He said, they love each other almost before they meet. And that was not a statement of admiration about Christians. It was a statement of exasperation about Christians. I don't like them. I want to try to stamp them out. But they love each other so much. And it's really compelling. They love each other almost even before they meet. We have work to do to witness in this way and others to this Christ who is the way and the truth and the life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.